0: Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast, this is episode 251 and this episode is with the strength and conditioning coach at the Saudi Olympic Training Centre, Elizabeth Erler and Elizabeth came on, we discussed, first of all we discussed the World Cup that is going on currently over in Australia and New Zealand so Elizabeth gave some insights in some of the takeaways that she's took away from the tournament so far and also just some general thoughts around the women's game and how it's progressing as well. So that was really interesting. And it tied really nicely into some of the other topics that we were discussing, which are some of the KPIs for youth players to be ready and step up to first team. We spoke about handling youth players or young players being called up at what we might see as being early. So if players aren't necessarily ready on a physical scale, but maybe technically and tactically they are and they end up in a first team environment. How do we go about that? How do we factor that in with their physical preparation work alongside first team schedules, maybe under 18 schedules or 23 schedules? Then we spoke about working with players of different ages throughout an academy system, the differences needed as a coach working with those different ages um, and some good things to take away and think about if you are a coach. Thinking about which age you want to work with, if it is an academy age or even up to first team. Um, Elizabeth covered some really good insights into some of her experiences of athletes that she's worked at at different ages and the skills that she needed with those athletes. So there's plenty you'll take away from this one. Um, like I said, we start off with the World Cup and then we transition into getting players ready for that first team environment. Now I record this a week after our networking event at Sheffield Wednesday and I just want to say a big thank you to everyone that came out to that event. There were some brilliant discussions and conversations going on at the event. We could have probably done an extra few hours at that event, which is really good. We said at the time that's exactly why we want to run the events because we want coaches to be in a room chatting. We had five, six maybe different clubs, perspectives all being thrown out there, which was absolutely amazing. So thank you for everyone that came out. And also thank you to Jack Newbury and Steve Thompson for presenting, and also Rob Lee at Chef Wednesday for hosting us as well. Really appreciate it. We will have announcements on the next few events very soon. We're hoping to have a couple more in August, towards the end of August. And then we've already got probably two or three events lined up for September as well. So just keep an eye out over on our socials at Football Fit Fed. And I will also announce it on the podcast when we get our events confirmed speakers confirmed the dates and times and all the rest of it so just keep an eye out for those just before getting get into the episode i want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors first of all the good prep the good prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh ready to eat chef cut meals straight to your door they offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals current activity level and schedule the Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and, and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable allowing you to enhance recovery and maximise athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at Hytro.com or email sales at Hytro.com to find out how Hydro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge and also lastly but by no means least massive thank you to Rezl doing some great work in the world of virtual reality go and check them out at Double Z I L over on socials and let's get into episode 251 with Elizabeth Hill.
1: Rezzl is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzl Sports & Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzl, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome
0: back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 251. And I'm delighted to welcome on the podcast today, Elizabeth Earle. Elizabeth, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you for coming on. I know we've got some pretty cool stuff. We had a little chat just before we start recording Now We've got some good stuff to cover in this episode. Uh, I'm sure there's quite a few of the listeners that have seen maybe some of the work that you do online. But it'd be great. For you to give a bit of perspective on your career what you've been up to and also what you currently do at the
1: moment okay yes uh, yeah i would say I, I have a pretty unique career path in especially in strength and conditioning or coaching in general um i started uh just in in an Not an admin role. That's that's probably wrong to phrase it. But I I started my first job was uh, managing the youth department of doing weightlifting. Uh, I used to be a weightlifter, um, not quite successful like many coaches, (laughs) especially in strength and conditioning. They are just failed failed athletes (laughs) like (laughs) myself. Um, So I started as a manager of the youth department um, and mainly coaching weightlifting techniques uh, to youth athletes. Um, And then I became a national coach um, and and in charge of the talent identification um, department uh, at German Weightlifting, where we did a lot in regards to like talent transfer, which is quite something that happens in a sport like weightlifting. Um, and then, uh, I mean, it's very limited uh, if you're a sports coach because back then I was a sports coach in one one sport in a national team or for a for federation. Um, and I've always been more interested in other sports and providing like strength and conditioning for them. So I started, uh, or I did did a lot in rugby um, in in a local and grassroots level, uh, but also even international. Um and uh, did some internships, uh, and had some stays in in South Africa in professional rugby, um as well as um in I shadowed in England and in other countries, um and then uh, in uh twenty end of twenty twenty I left uh, during the pandemic I left Germany to do a coaching education project in Luxembourg for the Ministry of Sport there. Um, and then I went back to South Africa to coach um, um, at the Stormers uh, for four months in the beginning of 2022. 20, uh, um, and then I came to Saudi Arabia in mid of 2022 um, as a head of strength and conditioning in an academy, uh, or multi-sport academy, which have football, judo, taekwondo, athletics, so track and field, and uh I forgot one handball, yes. Um, I was the head of strength and conditioning there, uh, mainly working with youth athletes and junior athletes on their, in the pathway program. And uh, since uh, May this year, uh, I'm working for the Saudi Olympic Training Center uh, as a strength and conditioning coach for all the uh, combat sports. So at the moment, that's uh, Jiu-Jitsu, Karate, uh, Judo, and Taekwondo. Um, which is mainly with the national teams, uh, youth, junior, and senior. Yeah. Amazing.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> what what an extensive CV you built up already and in many, many different places as well. Out of curiosity, is there any any of the roles or even the countries that you've worked in? Do they do any of them stand out as like being the leader for you personally, where you developed most as a coach? And, and why was that as well?
1: I think as a coach, um, the most you develop actually in the environments where you have, where you don't have systems yet, because you're you're kind of uh, you're kind of like building them and you're developing them. So I would say, a German weightlifting, the job, the the second job I had, like a, as head of talent identification, was the first first time this department or I created that department, um, or the role itself which was quite uh, quite interesting uh or quite for, for professional development and then uh, obviously if you if you come into environments like for example here in saudi arabia where um i'm working for example now um, some of the teams are, are female teams um sports like organized sports didn't quite exist uh, until 2018 so we are working with the first generation of uh, female athletes that go into into through elite pathways and everything needs to be built. I think that's for me the 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 main um, or that that has been the main influence on on my professional development. I'm not a kind of person, or I have never been the kind of person who, uh, who works very well with like mentoring and going in a extremely well organized. sports system already and then just get taught by others like i i'm more like the experiential learning type of person uh just give me like an environment and a task and then i try to figure it out myself and i learn on the way and then i ask other other coaches uh, for advice um or something like that so i've never done a classic like the classic internship or uh something like that Uh, that maybe also comes because uh I mean, I, I started, I, I did my degree, uh, my undergrad uh, in sports science while I was already working for German weightlifting. Um, and I did my master's while I was already working in sport or, or doing doing working in sports already. And now I'm doing a prof doc uh, and I work full time. So it's more like uh, I, I haven't been through this whole, uh, I was at university, then I did internships and then I was hoping for my first job. I actually had a job first uh, and I was like, oh, I should, maybe I should study. <laughs> and then I did like a, um, a, a pro, like I was in, in one of the like pilot projects of the German Olympic Committee uh, where people that already work in the Olympic sports can study uh, um, or, or aim for a degree. And then uh, that's, that's, that's how my career path kind of went.
0: I think that's really interesting to hear. And I think the way you're talking about being given a, a task and finding out the way of, of working towards that, I think that's really interesting. A lot of people probably relate with that as well. Um, so it's probably quite nice for the coaches to hear. So no, I appreciate you sharing that. I just wanted to kick the podcast off as well. Obviously, we're recording this at the time of the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. So I wanted to get some reflections from you. We're sort of getting into like, knockout stages of the competition as we record this. Has there been any early reflections from you?
1: Um, a, f- a few maybe political ones, uh, I think, <laughs> uh, <laughs> rather political ones. Uh, um, There are still a lot of federations that don't support their teams enough. Um, And uh, despite all this adversity, I think we've seen that yesterday with Jamaica, with Nigeria, with South Africa, you seen uh, that there are teams who really face a lot of adversity uh, and issues, and 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 don't really have that much support, and, and still can, can, still can be uh, very inspiring and successful. And I really hope the inspirations are not gonna take credit for for, for the successes mm. of those female teams. Um, then uh, that that's I think one, uh, one, one aspect. Uh, the second one is uh, the world catching up uh, which is uh, we don't have the dominating two or three nations anymore I mean back in the days it was one or two Uh, then it was like three or four maybe the European uh, the Europeans and uh, the US maybe Australians like a little bit but um, I think we are now in a in a situation which is very exciting where other nations catch up um and it's not that predictable anymore i remember when i was a kid um and watched uh, like in, i mean in germany uh, uh we could watch a women's uh, world cup uh, even when i was a kid I, I don't think in many other nations that was possible because germany was super successful yeah. um and um and uh, i i don't rem- like it was never like that exciting because we had these big 10 to 0 a to zero uh results which are really not really not really that super interesting to watch. Uh, and this, this is it's changing and it's changing to the better. And um I think um that there's the second takeaway, the third one is obviously it's like one of the Rather, um, I think for myself, already annoying subjects is like uh, obviously ACL injuries, uh, injury incidents in, in women's football in general, and the conclusions that are drawn out of out of that, or how it's gonna get approached. Um, I mean, there's always this. There's always this. Um, whenever, whenever a female footballer here's an acl uh you read on social media oh we need more research we need more research about women about acl injuries in in, in women's football there has been and and I, I say that like there has been if you're interested in that uh, as a coach or whoever there has been a lot of research and there's there has been a lot of research done especially in the last 10 15 years um in men and women's football and other sports as well and still we have more we get more and more and more um, injuries and I think it's rather we I think we need to need to look at like more environmental or environmental factors that might play a role into that or organizational factors like uh, um, if you look at women's football uh, in, in in Europe, for example, um, or even if I look at my own country or or England as well, um the way the way the way the profession or the, or the way the, the game got professionalized uh, was very, very fast compared to how the support system for those players uh, was built. So for example, if you look at game schedules, if you look at uh, the amount of or even if, even if you look just look at the number of games, women have to play, um, in the leagues and in, in other in other cups, uh, whatever tournament they are in, it's it's kind of compare or you can compare it to the men's side, but on the other hand, the support system, um, you cannot really compare it to the men's side. So we have a big bunch. We throw or we threw the women's game into a big bunch of of games, or they have a big. Uh, they the load increased uh dramatically, but the whole the whole support system and pathway programs um, for girls are not really that comparable with the men's side. So this, I think might be a much higher, uh, might have a much higher influence on, on the ACL and knee injury issue than for example, them having a menstrual cycle or in general being female. Um, and that's something where we have, where we need to, where especially for Asians need to have, uh, a much more honest, um, conversation about, we cannot expect them to play these schedules, uh, and play this number of games, um, and then don't do much about the pathway programs and prepare them for that. Um, if I look at my own country, like in, in, in Germany, we have a first, uh, a professional women's football league, um but at the moment i think there are only two teams that have academies for girls um and then the majority of girls just grows up uh, or just develops in in club systems um, and the earliest they get into some sort of some sort of professional structure is like at under 17 level um and then usually it's already then they play then they play in the first and the the, the good players play in the women's teams quite early, um uh, which is something we see quite often and which is quite celebrated at, at the in, 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 in women's football and, in general is like uh, and I'm really personally not a fan of that when we celebrate the fifteen or fourteen year old playing already in the women's in the in the women's game. I don't think they're ready for that. Um but they sometimes don't have another choice because there is no If they are really good, they can play with the boys at that age and they don't really have a competitive girls league on that level. So then they just get pushed into the the first women's team. And um, I think all of these conversations need to be had first before we ask for more research and more research and more research on biomechanical aspects and and maybe hormonal aspects, etc. That 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 can be done too, but that should not be the focus. No, I think,
0: I <laughs> no, no, no. I think it, I think it's a really important um topic to bring up. And to be honest, it 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 leads quite nicely into the other topics that we're going to speak about. And I know you'll probably link it in quite nicely together because we're going to talk about youth players, youth athletes getting ready to step up. And I think you've seen it in this competition already, haven't you? Where there's been certain nations that have played players that are younger, and there's obviously a lot more that comes into that decision than just the physical, the physicality of the player. Um, but from us, from our perspective, as any sort of performance enhancement, physical preparation, coach, strength conditioning coach, whoever it is, one of the things I wanted to touch on with yourself is how do we assess whether players are ready? So if you're talking physically now, we're forgetting about the technical, technical, tactical side of things. How do we assess whether, or how do you assess whether players are ready to take that step up?
1: Hmm. Um, First of all, um, as strength and conditioning coaches, um, we have like a very limited influence on when players, transit, or when young players, or junior players transition to a first team. Most of the time, it's really out of our, our hand, but we but we are in the set, at the same time we are in a position where we can uh, where we actually really have an influence on that process uh, of transitioning, for example, from from junior to to the senior team. Um, but for us, I think very often maybe they it's a bit too early, um, and and they getting into a senior team not quite as prepared as we would like to, especially if they are really good players from a tactical, technical perspective. Um, I did uh, did my master's uh, research project in rugby uh, about the transition phase from junior to senior team. And I was with uh, a bunch of juniors for a certain period of time where they were transitioning to the first team. Um, and we try to to find the challenges from a physical from a um, psychological social also like academic or or, or university perspective. Um, and like from a physical perspective the majority of or the the biggest challenges for junior players is just the game, or in the senior team just being so much more faster and more physical. And uh, I did quite a, I did a literature uh, review, mainly in football because there's not much rugby. So, but there's quite a lot in football about, uh, um, about, yeah, juniors or academy players transitioning to, to a first team. And the former physical or the, the physical challenges are mainly speed of the game. And uh, making faster decisions, being quicker, um, and then the physicality of the game. Like obviously, uh if if you are like if you look at some 17, 18 year olds, they might be from a technical, tactical perspective, be able to sustain or, or be able to survive on in a senior team, but they're physically um from even from a physicality standpoint. Maybe not that resilient yet to be able to play a season, um, or to be able to play a season in a good way, um. So that's something um that at least my research and work we figured out, and it's it's quite can be transferred to football as well, um. Something that I did uh, with junior players, which is unfortunately um in which which should be should be something that should be discussed with the sports or with football or rugby or whatever team sport you're you're with, with the, should be discussed with the coaches with like how big the gap is between the junior with the level of junior players and and the senior players um just you can't figure that out uh, if you have a good sports science department or if you do it as an FSC, if you do it yourself. If you collect data from, or if you have training data, GPS data, just look what they do in junior level. Uh, what do they do in on, on senior level and where, and, and how big is the gap? And is there even a gap? Because something I figured out, uh, at least with the one team I had, um, was that from a, from a like training volume perspective, and also from actually from a, um, yeah, from a training volume and, and, and intensity perspective, the juniors were quite close to the senior level. Um, and actually, there was not really that big of a gap. Um, actually, on junior level, the training volume was much higher than on senior level. Um, but as I said, this was for a team that I worked with. It can be completely different than other teams. But uh, something that I that I figured out. Um, but they still, the players still subjectively felt that on senior level, it's much tougher and much more volume. And uh, because I didn't figure out uh, much differences in training volume and intensity, I thought maybe that then that must be what was my conclusion. That must be then the mental aspect. So... And uh, this is something that shouldn't be underestimated. so we can we, we can physically prepare them, but it can still feel a lot different on senior level for them just because of that additional pressure and that additional mental the, the additional mental side. Um, so, yeah, from a physical perspective, if if you are working with junior athletes uh, and have access to data from the first team or um, and you collect data on on the junior level, just look at training volume, um, just intensities, etc. are, to look at the uh, uh, players that you can maybe compare. Uh, okay, if you have a junior player, we um, should be kind of like this other senior player you have or similar to a bunch of senior players you have. Just take their data and compare and, and look how, how big the gap is. That's probably, if, if I would be a sports scientist, uh, there would be, there, there, there probably would be a few scientific flaws obviously but at the end of the day we're like strength and conditioning coaches, everything we do is like applied so uh, yeah sometimes it's just a bit of like okay uh, look at your setting, look at your uh, context and, and also what does the coach want, uh, how does the coach want the player to be, what kind of game, tactical game he wants the player to play. Uh, so all of that plays kind of a role in how you how you prepare them, but it's a good. Uh, let, at least it was for me very surprising that on junior level they actually the training volume was kind of a bit even more a bit more than on the senior level, but um, the the extra pressure being in a senior team and like trying to establish yourself proving yourself just makes it much more exhausting and makes it feel like it's a lot more them, even though it's objectively not the way, and I'm not the okay. case.
0: I mentioned at the start of the episode that we had our networking event last week at Sheffield Wednesday. Both presentations from that event are now available to watch back on our community. So we've got a presentation by Academy Sports Scientist at Sheffield Wednesday, Jack Newbury. He presented on bridging the gap between Academy and First Team, and some of the Um, insights into how they go about that transition from taking players from that academy system through the ages into that first team squad, which is really good because we had a room full of coaches that worked right along the pathway as well, right up to first team with Rob Lee, which is brilliant. And then also, I highly recommend for you to go and check out the presentation by Dr. Steve Thompson. We're going to be posting a preview of this um presentation over on our youtube as well and it's on velocity based training practical insights and applications and regardless of what level you work at or how what you have available to you in terms of kit facilities it doesn't matter steve did an incredible job of working throughout the levels if you've got a lot of kit available to you, he really broke down the numbers to be looking at and how he would approach using VBT with the players. And then he scaled it right back to if you don't have kit and you're on limited time, limited budget, there's also things that you can be considering as well. So regardless of what level you're working at, and what you have available to you, I highly recommend for you to go and check out the presentation that Steve did for us, and that is available in the Network Meeting Presentations tab on the community if you're already a member. If you're not, go to footballfitfed.com. There is a free month trial waiting there for you. Click the Community tab, sign up. It'll give you a free 30-day trial. After that 30-day trial, you become a paid member of the community and you get access to our members' WhatsApp group as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the Community tab and go and check out the new content we've got available there. Here's part two of the podcast with Elizabeth Hurler. Yeah, no, very interesting. I think there's a lot of factors that go into that as well, isn't there? Because for a youth player to step up from an under-18 squad to go into a first team or for them to go, it depends on what structure the club has, for them to go under-18s, under-21s, the first team, under-18s, under-23s, the first team. There's a lot of different sort of pathways, isn't there, that a player could step through. Um, yeah. I suppose the other side of it is, you use the word before, survive, in a first team. It's whether we're getting a player up to that level to survive or whether we're getting them there to thrive. And I think that's the mm. difference, isn't it? Is is that they're going to get into the first team? And I love how you spoke about the psychological side of it as well, because when you see some of these players stepping into first team, there's been a few big examples in in the Premier League recently where players have got into the first team and they don't look out of place, but they're much younger than their their teammates. Psychologically, they must be ready somewhat to tackle those challenges. Whether there's whereas there's others that are probably equally as talented that just kind of aren't quite ready. So there's a lot yeah. of factors, isn't it, that go into that?
1: Yeah, and and also something uh, we shouldn't forget is especially if we have debuts that are or or if we have extremely talented uh, young players. I, always I I always call them these are the exceptions. Um, I mean we had that in the in the German or in Germany in the Bundesliga with Mukoko, um, who played his first game at the uh, for Borussia Dortmund at the age of. 15 in a couple of days I think um something we should not forget with these uh, like really outstanding players uh, when they when they go into the first team being that young not not just from even from a like from a mental perspective or psychological perspective when they are 15 most of them are not grown men they might even be able they might even still be in a in, in a phase. Where they still growing, and where they still uh, where they still like grow, might, might even be growing a lot. I mean, even if you look at uh, if you look at uh, for example the NBA, um, they drafting players uh, at the age of twenty, and then uh, and then you always see in the draft report like a height, and then one or two years later they are like even three, four, five centimeters taller, and yeah. they are they are drafted at the age of like uh, 19 20 uh, 21 i think um so if we have a 15 year old in football he might even grow like even another 6 7 centimeters. and that has an in, 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 in if if they are still growing um then that also has a big influence on on like coordination and other physical aspects so some, sometimes uh, when they when they are that young, if they play that young, and then maybe they grow a bit, and then their coordination is off, then they seem a bit off on the field as well, like technically. And then we are very fast. If if you if you don't have awareness for that, and especially sports coaches or football coaches that don't are not aware of these aspects of like growth development uh, maturation etc., then you kind of like maybe write them off pretty quickly, even though they're just going through through another phase. So that's something uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very critical of, like, players who are uh, technically, tactically very, very good at a very young age. Um, and 15 for me is a very young age uh, to throw them into a senior environment just because they can technically, tactically be there. Um, I don't think with most of the time physically they can in the in in the women's game, that's actually I think it's even worse. Uh, in the way of like we're celebrating, the young they they get younger and younger and younger. Uh, if you look at, at the US, for example, I think there was also another fourteen or fifteen year old who made their, made the um debut in the in the women's uh, soccer league in the US. And um, we have that all the time in in, in other professional women's football leagues uh, where we where they really fifteen fourteen year olds already playing in senior teams they are not even even if they uh, have an extremely high sk- skill level and they can can play one or two games but they are not in my opinion they cannot be physically ready to to like be sustainable for a season for example and that's the goal at least that's for me um, as a strength and conditioning coach or a coach in general that should be the goal. I want to prepare players to be able to play seasons and not just mm. one or two games and be out with a with with minor injuries or nickels and then maybe play another game and be out for two or three games because they have like knee pain or whatever, a small nickel. Um, my goal will always be they have to be available as much as possible for as long as possible. Um, mm. That's how I approach it. So I really rather wait another year or two and then have them have them play for five six seven seasons uh, without having major injuries instead of this whole uh, we, we're going to play them as young as possible and then uh, we're going to deal with the injuries on the way
0: well the fact with that i, I fully agree but I, I think the fact with that is that it's happening isn't it and it's going to continue to happen because coaches are under pressure they might see some talent in a player. They think, I need, I want to put them in. So from our perspective, when a, when a player is put in, as we might see it, early, what is the approach or maybe what is some advice that you would give a coach in that scenario?
1: Mm. Um. Something like, at least from a strength and conditioning perspective, something that I've done in the past and I would continue doing is, not having junior players uh, have the same team program and like more do individualized SSC work with them uh, because I think at that age, that's really necessary. Um, I really also, I'm not a huge fan of like having the same, you sometimes see that even in professional settings when you have like team programs um, and then the juniors get, get just thrown the same way into it. Then, the 30 or 32 year old player um so always try with those junior players that are transitioning to individualize and really work on work on like the strengths and weaknesses um that they have um and like really go for like a long term approach and like building basic strength um sometimes just like about setting priorities um at least for the players i have um, my main goal is just to make them more resilient and build strength in the beginning. Um, and trying to individualize uh the programming to meet the demands then on on the senior level.
0: I think a common one as well that will come up in football is, and this is much more on the men's side I think now, and I could be wrong. It might still happen in the women's game as well. Is that you'll get young players called up, especially to train with a first team. Mm-hmm. Then they'll go back down to their age group, and the program gets a little bit tangled up in terms of who's taking control on who's yes. doing what. Are they a first team player? Are they an academy player? Are they sort of in between? And then they end up doing everything, which obviously real yes. sp- gives big spikes on the amount of work that they're doing. Then doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's something uh, I experience in in rugby, for example. The same way you have, they play, for example, on the twenty ones. Uh, they run on the SSC program for the under 21s, then uh, they get a call up for the first team because of maybe even too many injuries, or they train with the first team. Then they get thrown into the first team environment and run on the SC or run with a completely different SC and um, run the, se- the program of the senior team. And then, then maybe the in- after two weeks or three weeks, the injured player is back, they drop down again to under 21s, then they are in a different program again. Um, or sometimes they even then they have the then they run uh, then they have the national team um, and 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 have a different program there mm. for a couple of weeks and uh, that's really something um, where I'm I'm not sure how it is in football but it's a big issue in 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 many other sports I've uh, it's probably the same issue in football because I've experienced in rugby I experienced it in in basketball and in handball um, that. They are some. They are playing in three to sometimes even four different teams, and every time they are bumping around between programs, and there's never any consistent program. Because also, like of, of course, it's hard to blame the SSC coaches all the time because they they cannot individualize for everyone, especially if we have big squads. But uh, there still should be, or there needs to be, more communication between everyone who's involved in the development of the player. Um, and maybe even if it's if they go to national team duty, um, then maybe it's better to let them run on their club uh, SEC program. Um, or then then than having someone extra who's gonna throw something completely different at them, which really has no long-term effects. Like, I mean that's something with uh, in particular if you have players who are in uh, national teams uh, and then clubs um, that like national team camps SNC and national team camps is like very often like, one of the most useless things I've I've seen because it's just like they get them for a camp and then they just throwing whatever they whatever they they want in in those two or three weeks or what, whatever time they have they're just throwing something completely different without much communication to the coaches at these players and then they come and, and, and you don't really achieve much during that time but well we worked hard I mean that's that's the only outcome you have like yeah you, you worked hard um, but yeah um, there needs to be I think if you if you do as a coach along if you if you really do a development plan uh, that's something I always want to do with players uh, and uh, the sports coaches was like oh, let's do a development plan for this player where where the supplier needs to be in two three in two years and three years and five years. Um because that's how we should think um as coaches. Um and then we work we work on that consistently. Obviously it's hard, uh difficult um with also the current structures of players maybe not staying five years at one club and then having going on a loan to somewhere else or uh, changing getting a new contract somewhere else or getting dropped or whatever obviously that's that's it's quite challenging but still in the back of your mind should always have like a two three and five year plan for 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 a player and then consistently try to follow up with that and have better communication with the other coaches that are involved in the players development
0: yeah i think that's a really good point I just want to shift gears a little bit and just ask your advice um, for coaches out there, because we're speaking a lot about youth players, youth athletes. Obviously that covers a large range of ages. We could be talking anything from sort of, again, if we're relating it to football, it might be an eight-year-old compared to a 16-year-old. There's a big range there. So for coaches that are listening, and especially coaches that are trying to get maybe the first opportunities or the next opportunity. And they're thinking, who should I work with? Who am I suited to work with? What age group am I suited to work with? What's been your, your experience with that in terms of the different skill sets, working with younger mm-hmm. ages up to your older ages, leading up into a first team?
1: Yeah, so I would say I've worked with all ages uh, so far. Um, i had uh, under 10 football team and i had a i had a under 16 under 18 under 21 uh, rugby team uh, under 19 as well um so it's uh, i work with all age groups um i think um, i think the most for me the most challenging is the very young ones like uh, everything under under 10 uh from my uh, athletic development uh, i don't call it strength and conditioning on that level <laughs> it's more like athletic development Um, i think you can mess up a lot on that uh, in that age group um if you don't have some basic knowledge about like uh also like child development in general that's something I I figured out I figured out uh, in working in that field quite a lot. Uh, children are like we sometimes we tend to sometimes treat them like uh, like like they are older than they actually are. Um, especially in football, that's that's something uh, that's really a kind of kind of an issue that even we expect from we expect um tactical decision making from under 10s and under 12s already that they are from a even from a development perspective are not able to 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 do um and then the second thing is um we need to we need to have a lot of knowledge about like growth maturation and what what impact it actually has on motor development and i think that's where the majority of coaches um or many coaches that don't have the they don't have the education about that where they kind of make not on purpose but where they make mistakes um and like especially when it then comes to talent identification later or or judging if a player is 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 good or not um i i always have to like the the most obscure thing for me is when we do talent identification um, around uh phv like peak high velocity when, when they're clubs uh that that do like trials and then they, you have these without measuring uh biological age and then you have like all these 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 uncoordinated young boys <laughs> that might might that at a later stage they might be able to 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 get Together again, but uh, at that stage it's just um, not normal. So it's something you really need to know about and be aware of. And then the second aspect, if you want to work on the junior to senior transition, which is like I, that's personally for me the most exciting, um, most exciting age group to work with, like uh, under twenty ones, uh, under 19s um, um, and 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 really guiding them to the senior team. Um, there, you really need to, first of all, you need to understand the demands of the senior team um, or what, what being a professional athlete uh, or professional player on the senior team, what that means. Um, and you also need to know, you need to understand that you're dealing with uh, um, still very young people um, that, ha- that, that might not, they might physically very often Already be kind or look developed, um, but they aren't fully. Plus, uh, from a psychological perspective, uh, they are not really like grown adults. I said that once to my twenty to my nineteen team actually, and then they got super obsessed. And I said, oh, "Okay, I will never say it again." But I said, I'm, "I'm sorry, but you're all not grown men, even though you think that you're not. <laughs> you're not. I know you think that, but you're not grown men." Like, Was it uh, funny that whereas, when we're
0: younger we want to be older and when we're older we yeah, want to be younger. <laughs>
1: no, exactly. But I said, listen boys, you're not grown men. <laughs> so yeah. um it's gonna like like it's gonna take time. You cannot expect uh coming into a senior environment. I said that to one of the uh, words well, to two or three other young guys, I said, You cannot expect to go into the senior team and and it's you. You're not gonna be in the same role that you were on junior level. You're not gonna be the captain, and you're not gonna be the much better than a lot of others. And you're not gonna. You you you're you are starting at the bottom again, and you have to establish yourself, work yourself up in the senior team. It's a complete difference. Uh, uh because as I said, you're not not growing yet, and you're not a polished player where the development is already done. I think that's something sometimes also. An expectation that some football or rugby or handball or whatever sport coaches have um, they just because a player has been quite dominant in junior level and even t- t- like, took over a, ca- a captain's uh, a role and is, uh, is very confident on that level, that doesn't mean that automatically transfers to, to the senior level um, and then if you work in that space, you, you really need to be aware of like um, also a lot of like social struggles these junior players uh, come with. Um, that that has been actually a very big point uh, or a big aspect of my my master's project. Um, the major- many junior players struggle when they transition to the senior team, they struggle with the different role they all of a sudden have. Like they're unsure about their friendships they're unsure about like who's actually want to be with them because because or who wants to be their friend um or support or whatever because they are because for them as a human being or they're all the people that just come all of a sudden because they are in the senior team or applying the senior team and uh, um, that that was uh, I had some very honest uh, and very like Like uh, for myself very surprised and conversations with with junior players who who played the first season in the senior team where they said I really don't know who to trust anymore since I'm on that professional level. Before that it was so easy like I was not like I wasn't like uh, you know like I I was not sure but now I'm in the senior team all of a sudden everyone wants to have a a piece of uh, the pie and wants, wants to have something from me and like even even some of them were really uh, insecure about, like, girlfriends and partners and all of that, if that's still genuine or if that's – like, it's a, they have to figure out a lot in the first one or two years of being in the senior environment, not just from the sports perspective, but everything off-field as well. Um, and I think as a coach, you kind of need to – I think so. Like, I know other people see that different. I think you need to be kind of guide them through that and have these conversations, even though it sometimes has nothing to do with S and C, um, or with physical preparation, um, and uh, sometimes. But but at the end of the day, um, as a strength and conditioning coach, you have a different access to 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 players than, for example, the football coaches have. Um, players will always be more open to us. Um then they maybe will be to a football coach because they they're still this they're, you know i'm not selecting yeah i'm not nominating i'm not i'm not having an opinion on their football rugby whatever skills um i'm just there for physical preparation so for them it's very often more it's, it's they are more open to me to talk about like things that bother them, like off-field stress, uh, strain, like like factors that influence their performance that might be not uh, uh, sports related. Um, and then I feel like at least as a, as a sequ- if, if they come to me with that, then I feel like, okay, I have to kind of guide them through that way because the football coaches will not and should also not do that because they are in a different position.
0: I love that. I don't think we've ever spoke about that in terms of like a player's circle and the importance yeah. of that circle and the people that make up it, Like especially at that time where you're talking about a player getting in the first team because you start getting agents, getting involved, like you say, personal relationships, family. There's a lot of things going on for a young person that is dealing with a lot of their own sort of emotions and at a time that is quite uncertain as well, isn't it? So, yeah, I think that's it's such a real an important topic to bring up. So I'm really pleased that you you did because I think it's something people, coaches, should consider. Um, I just want to move us on to our yeah. quick fire questions. We've absolutely flown through that, but I feel like we've covered some really important stuff. So thank you for for covering that. I always start the quick fire questions with who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far?
1: um mm, like direct influence uh probably my own coach when i was a waiter a very old very old man Um, he's uh in his uh, in his end of end of 70s now uh, i learned uh, a lot about like being a very detailed person on like movement and and in general how sports performance uh, works um, and then for me, like kind of a bit of a role model has always been Suki Hobson from uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, head of strength and conditioning. There, she does not know that, and she doesn't know me or anything. <laughs> I just like I, I just like uh, um, how she approached Yanis or how she what she did uh, at the box and like her whole career um, is very impressive. So and that's something I aspire to be as well. Um, not make it about like being a female coach, just doing your job. Um, yeah, that that probably the two people that like had the most influence on me. And like I like as I said before, I never really had like these big mentors. Uh, I've always been like I ask people for advice, and there are many different people who had like a, a tiny bit of influence on myself. Um, but yeah, these two probably are the main. I think what
0: what you're saying there about Sukido is important because I think it underlines for me the importance of coaches sharing their work because like you said, you've never met like you you don't know each other but you're aware of exactly what she's done and the impact she's had with her players so I think that's a really important point, isn't it? And I, I know what you're saying about having like an official mentor or an internship but essentially that is someone that's had a big impact and I think that's why it's so important I'm very passionate on coaches sharing what they do um, mm. and not just tying in with the fluff of social media and all the rest of it, but the actual nuts and bolts of what goes into day to day, I think is really important. So no, that's a really good point. Elizabeth, what would you say is your biggest strength as a coach?
1: Um, I think I have a lot of empathy. So um, and I'm really something, um, my biggest strength and probably also weakness at the same time, even though that sounds so cliche, I will always be pro athletes. Um, and I always, uh, if I feel something is, if, if I am in an a environment where I feel like the wellbeing, um, of athletes is kind of, um, not really looked after, I will always be on the athlete side, like, uh. Um, I'm not really someone if there's really if I'm in an environment and there's there's a, there's a certain there's certain things you can tolerate, but uh, um, if I feel like their athlete's well-being is neglected, uh, then I'm always pro athlete.
0: Good point, very good point. What would be some top career advice if you were able to speak to yourself, coming out of the, your uh, undergrad like back when you did that if you were able to speak to yourself coming out of that degree what career advice would you give yourself
1: um i think in my case um i i think it's quite normal to be to have doubts and uh, i i used to doubt myself like quite a lot And I still do that all the time, and I also don't think that's a weakness. If you if you if you really um, are very critical with yourself, Um, but sometimes um, if it it should never stop you of not trying uh, or or of not doing something, like not taking on a job or not uh, not progressing somewhere else, uh, or not um, not taking on like a difficult task. Like obviously, it's sometimes I'm I'm I've like in my career so far, I've questioned myself and if I'm the right person for the job many times, um. But it never stopped me of actually pursuing what I wanted to pursue, um. And uh, it never like that's that's something uh, I think um sometimes just getting out of your comfort zone and I sense so cliche as well. But like really throwing yourself into situations that you might really where you even think you're not the right person for that, but just figure it out and try it. I mean, um, I came last year, uh, I decided and then that has been a, a very, uh, I had many sleepless nights before I decided to go to Saudi Arabia as a woman alone. Um, And everyone was like, oh, that's a bit, uh, you know, maybe that's a bit too much. And like, you don't need to challenge yourself that much. Um and like obviously I was overthinking it for quite a lot of quite quite some time. Um but at the end of the day, it's just like fuck it and do it. Like I'm sorry for swearing. (laughs) (laughs) Beep it out in the podcast, but just um um yeah, think it overthinking is normal, but uh there needs to be an end point of overthinking and then just do it and like take every opportunity there is on the way. Um Whatever, wherever it like, leads to. I mean, my career path has been like all over the place. Uh, and I'm working now in sports that I've never worked before um, or that I have actually never really had a connection to before.
0: So finally, what is your approach now to CPD? So continued development as a coach. What do you do in terms of that now?
1: Yes. Um, so, okay, first of all, I'm doing a prof doc uh, at the age of, I mean, I'm 31 now. Um, a lot of them are already finished with their PhDs and prof docs. I mean, I just started mine. Um, and uh, that, that's one the first, like, formal part of CPD. Um, I've also chosen a topic that I'm really, really interested in, which is a bit outside of strength and conditioning, uh, something that um I, I try to have when it comes to cpd i try to have a good balance of different uh, sports related things like i'm not just focused on strength and conditioning like i'm really i think uh, sometimes on on the level it, it always depends on the level you're working at but like uh, um i do not think for me from a cpd perspective it's it's a I don't need to go that much deeper into really the absolute 1% detail, SSE related things at the moment. Like that maybe is going to come at a later stage, but for now, I do like a lot of like social, cultural aspects of coaching um, um, because it fits to my current situation. So I always, um, in, in regards to CPD, I always look okay, what are my current needs? Um, but the current needs i have i mean i work at the moment in saudi in a completely different culture environment so i want to learn as much as possible about like navigating communication barriers uh, different cultural aspects um how i have to adapt my the way i coach to the culture and the backgrounds of my athletes uh that's something i do currently uh, so i I always try to okay. What are my needs in my current in my current setting, and then I choose a CPD method. And as a, again, like uh, as I said before, um, just experiential learning. Try to figure out uh, reflective practice. Uh, figure out uh, how to do how to how to attack like uh, or face a challenge that you have. Um, evaluate it and really look for people that might help you in that and and don't always go to the same people really go to different that that's something like it has been very important to me go to people who have different experiences with different backgrounds um who have like really different skill sets uh you don't need to go back to the same two or three people that you always known and that will sometimes you're even looking for some confirmation uh, bias um I don't think that really drives you forward. Look for for and, and even sometimes look for someone who has been working in a completely different setting than you um, or has been uh, has a completely different skill set than you and like try to try to reach out to different people um, and, and learn from them.
0: And just on that point, just to wrap us up, if people want to reach out to you, if they have questions or they want to get into a conversation about anything we've spoken about, where would you direct them to go?
1: Um, Either Twitter or uh, I, I'm not really – I don't reply on Instagram, but uh, Twitter is usually uh, – I reply to messages on Twitter or sending an email or I have a website as well, which I don't really maintain now well, but it, it's still there. So, yeah. that's is the place. place. Twitter is the place. Yeah, Twitter is the place. I, I think it's called X now.
0: Um, it is you're yeah. right yeah you're right i'm getting that wrong <laughs> yeah elizabeth, that was brilliant thank you very much i feel like we've covered right, absolutely loads of topics in this one and um, but some really important discussions as well so anyone that's working with sort of youth athletes i hope you've taken plenty away from this one which i'm sure you will have done so make sure you go and give elizabeth a follow and yeah i really appreciate you coming on and giving up your time all right
1: thank you so much
0: Thank you to Elizabeth for coming on and thank you for listening to episode 251. Go and check out Elizabeth over on social media. She's on Twitter at EO underscore performance. So go and give her a follow over there. Takeaways from this one. She talked very early on about building systems and that was what developed her as a coach the most. That was the environment that she felt that she progressed the most as a coach, which is really interesting. Obviously, the thoughts on the pathway in the women's game, um, I find really interesting as well. It ties really nicely into getting youth players ready for that first team environment. And we spoke a little bit off camera as well um, about some of the hopefully some of the future plans they'll put in place for the women's game as it keeps developing and feeding into this first team with the increasing fixtures and um, exposure as well at that top level. So that was really great to see. And she obviously talked about the speed of the game increasing being the biggest challenge so prepare that is what you're now preparing players for this much quicker game a lot more intense so players have to be physically ready for that to take that step up and then she also spoke about that having a development plans as a as a coach two three five year plans um as a coach and as players as well i think that's really important there's a lot that can happen in that time and it's key to break it up into those periods and then the other thing I thought was really important, which I sort of made a note of at the end, is where she was talking about the, the player's circle, who's in the circle, the influences. Obviously, there's real famous examples of players having not the greatest circles and sort of being led astray and, and not being kept on the straight and narrow. And it's a very influential. And it's really important to not necessarily get into that circle, but find out as much about it as you can. And then give them the support that they might require because every player is going to be slightly different. So I thought that was really interesting as well. But again, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Reach out, give us a little share on socials with some of the takeaways that you took away from the podcast. A lot of people have done that over the last few weeks and I really do appreciate it because it gives people a little insight into each individual episode as well. And as always, please give the episode a share. With anyone you think will benefit. I think we covered quite a lot in this one. So anyone working with youth players, um, you're definitely going to benefit. And anyone working in the women's game as well, um, please give it a share with them. And just finally, make sure to go and check out our sponsors, uh, Rezzle, the good prep, and Hydro doing some brilliant work. And I really would appreciate it if you at least go over to socials and go and give them a follow and check out some of the brilliant work that they are doing. But again, thank you for listening. And I'll speak to you again in episode 252.